0: The 2021 baseball season is underway, and stuff's already happening. A nail-biter between Toronto and the Yankees. A football score between Kansas City and Texas. How about a win for Matt Boyd over Shane Bieber? A blown save for Alex Colomay because he forgot which base to throw to. Injuries, lineup changes. I'll talk with Nick and Ray about opening day next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. (coughs) And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com,
0: columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, April 2nd. Day number two of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season, show number 18 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday News and Notes edition for you. It's our last of this season. We'll switch to one show a week coming up. We'll have our market watch player news reports. Harold Nichols has coverage of the National League, including closer situations in Philadelphia and Arizona, a little jazz playing in Miami, and more. And Ray Murphy has news from the American League, including injuries to Josh Donaldson. I think he got through two innings. Adalberto Mondesi, G-Man Choi, and more closer chaos in Kansas City, Minnesota, and Toronto. We'll also have our regular commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, in the frequent flyer. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Philadelphia right-handed starter Mark Appel. And in extra innings, I'll be talking about what's in the name at NFBC's main event. It's another big Friday news and notes edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? How are your teams looking after opening day? We gotta talk some baseball. So, how'd you do on day one? Me? I had one team in first place by a mile, one in the top four and being competitive, and one dead last. The crazy thing is, the last place team should be my best performer this year. The team I'm near the top should be my worst. And the team where I'm way out front should be competitive, but I don't expect it to be this dominating. The lesson here is don't overthink your opening day results. Just look at them, plan, and have fun. And speaking of thinking, we start with two guys who are always thinking. In the first inning of this Friday News and Notes edition, our Market Watch player news reports. Ray Murphy is on deck with the American League Report and leading off our National League News and analyst Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you, Patrick. Lots of news this morning.
0: Well, a, a big, interesting opening day. Uh, how did your teams do?
2: Uh, so-so for the first day with, uh, with cancellations and that sort of thing. It, you know, Some did well, some did not so well. I was disappointed in Louis Castillo's performance, but other than that, we're, we're off and rolling.
0: Well, they're off rolling in Philadelphia where manager Joe Girardi ended a lot of speculation and some guesswork by analysts. He says right-hander Hector Neris is going to open the season as the team's full-time closer. Uh, Phil Hertz covering the story for playing time today. And Phil Hertz says that, okay, Neris got the ball, but he's no lock to keep it.
2: Now, we've been gradually moving a higher percentage of saves to Neris, but he'll have to pitch well to hold off competition in the Phillies bullpen. Uh, as Greg Pyron noted in his March 27th Facts and Flutes column, Neris wasn't as bad as his 2020 XCRE of 4.61 would suggest. He combined to miss a lot of bats, had a leak swinging strike rate. Uh, the main culprit in his performance was an uncharacteristic walk rate of 13%. Uh, Neris had never had a higher walk rate than 9% previously. But all that said, managers need to be aware the Phillies haven't been afraid to pull Naris out of the closer role in the past, have Archie Bradley and Jose Alvarado in the wings. Uh, Bradley has more a closing experience, but before missing too much of 2019-2020, Alvarado had slightly better skills, and he throws a little harder than Bradley. Uh, opening night, Neres came in and uh, went a tie game in the ninth and pitched a clean inning.
0: Alvarado's the guy that interests me here. He also dropped a ton of weight and came into camp looking very fit and throwing a little harder than Bradley, as you mentioned. Bradley's always been something of a soft tosser when you talk about closers. Uh, Baseball HQ giving Hector Neris a 10% bump in saves. Uh, Archie Bradley loses 15%, and Alvarado loses 5%. And I think, uh, Nick, that just reflects the change in outlook that we had maybe a bit of a committee forming and then uh, Joe Girardi saying no committee we're just going to go with Neris the whole way and uh, as I said I think he's on a bit of thin ice but he does have closer worthy skills that he's demonstrated in the past and sometimes these older school managers like to have that established veteran in the role.
2: Yes they do indeed and certainly Neris now has a chance to pitch himself into the role if he's good for the first month, say. Uh, then he'll have a longer leash but uh, there are two other great guys behind him. so uh, always good if you have Neris on your roster to roster either Bradley or I really like you out like Alvarado.
0: another closer situation with lots of speculation going on got even murkier when the team refused to say anybody had the job in Phoenix. Uh, Phil hurts on this story as well for playing time today. What's going on in the valley of the Sun?
2: Well you know we thought that uh, that Yokim Soria would be the closer. Uh Maybe have to back off that assumption a bit because, despite the uh, 2.82 ERA in 2020, he's coming off arguably his worst season in the majors. XERA was 5.16, walk rate 10%, uh, strikeout minus walk rate 15%, and uh, BPV career was a career low of 70. Uh, Stefan Crichton flashed uh, finished 2020 as the Diamondbacks closer with a 2.42 ERA. Uh, like Soria, however, his skills don't scream closer. XERE 4.18, uh, strikeout rate only 21%. Uh, one name to talk away is Kevin Ginkle, who many thought was Arizona's closer and waiting a couple of years ago. He struggled in 2020, uh, especially with his control and wound up at the Diamondbacks alternate camp. But he's been better this spring, a 1.29 ERA over seven innings. But control continues to be less than stellar, four walks in those seven innings. So right now, uh, Soria, Crichton and uh, Kevin Ginkle, perhaps. We'll have to wait and see how all that pans out in Arizona.
0: I remember Ginkle's name coming up uh, a couple of years ago. Doug Dennis liked him on a skills basis, our bullpen columnist at BaseballHQ.com. So, yeah, don't be sleeping on him. Keep an eye on him. If the, if your league rules allow you, you might want to think of a stash. Although we have to say that the way things are shaping up, it doesn't look like there's going to be a ton of save opportunities in Arizona anyway. Yeah, that's possible
2: indeed, certainly.
0: The Phillies told outfielder Adam Hazley he made the team's opening day roster and at the same time they assigned outfielder Odubel Herrera to the alternate training site uh, what does this augur for Adam Hazley's value
2: well you know not only did hazley make the opening roster but he was a starter uh, in the, in the in the opening day uh, opening day game and it appears that he will share time in center field with Roman Quinn uh Hazley has a career uh, xBA of 265. But other than that, there's not much he offers to uh, to fantasy managers. Just five home runs and seven steals and 301 at-bats. Uh, an expected power index of 58. Uh, speed of 92. They don't suggest a lurking surge in those categories. Roman Quinn's main asset is speed. Uh, speed index of 212. That's helped Quinn to 35 steals over 404 at-bats. Uh, one concern is the injury bug. Yeah. An F health grade has been earned by repeated injuries in both the minors and the majors. Odubel Herrera uh, hit four home runs in the spring. Overall performance, uh, 245 on base percentage, 726 six OPS. But that's not enough to overcome the public relations issues that would arise due to his long domestic abuse suspension in 2019. So he may be at the alternate training site for a while.
0: Kind of a sad commentary to say if he had a, you know, 390 on base percentage and a 1,000 OPS, that would have been enough to cover the uh, long domestic abuse suspension public relations. Uh, That's uh, a bit too bad. You know, I was looking at uh, Adam Hazley. you mentioned five homers and seven steals in 300 or so big league at bats. And I thought, well, geez, you know, if you bump that up to 500 at bats, if he got that many, all of a sudden you're looking at near double digit homers and well into the teens of steals. And in today's game, that's not nothing.
2: Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, if he if he got that many at bats, if in fact he doesn't really share time with Roman Quinn, but uh, but plays more of the time out there and gets almost full time at bats, then you've got the double digit steal, double digit home runs, and and a decent batting average. So uh, I keep an eye on Adam Hazley at this point.
0: A bit of a surprise, Nick, in Miami, where infielder Jazz Chisholm made the team as the starting second baseman, according to the general manager, Kim Ng. Uh, This surprised me because uh, the preseason buzz was for Isan Diaz, but he only went two for 34. What do we expect from Jazz Chisholm as a full-timer?
2: Well, Chisholm is Miami's number four prospect with a 9D rating uh, and had an exceptional spring, three homers, four steals, 821 OPS, uh, in 2020, he had 56 at-bats with the Marlins, but could only muster a 183 ex- bat- expected batting average. So um did have last last year 145 expected power index, 135 speed, and that figures to be the issue going forward. Can he have enough pop and speed to overcome a very low batting average? Right now, we're projecting Chisholm to bat 209 with 12 homers and 14 steals, and the question is, would that level of performance keep him as the regular second baseman? I think that's really questionable. Uh, that could mean a return for Isan Diaz. Uh, Isan Diaz, as you said, had a terrible spring, two for 34. But in the big stage gone 35 for 201 with the Marlins, uh, mostly in 2019. He originally opted out of 2020, but reversed course and accumulated 22 at bats before hitting the I.L. with a groin injury. So fantasy managers deciding what to do with Chisholm or with Diaz should keep in mind that uh, John Birdie is around uh, while Birdie has played all over the diamond in the majors his primary position in the minors was second base, a career expected batting average of 263. And while his power is lacking, uh, 76 power index, eight homers and 391 at bats, 27 career steals. Uh, Birdie's going to play. Uh, all over the place, but uh, if there's a problem at second base, Birdie could certainly settle in there. And with his speed, certainly a guy to keep an eye on.
0: Definitely with his speed. If he gets a lot more playing time as a result of these uh, unsettled situation at second base, uh, John Birdie's value goes up, and it's a little bit up anyway because of the position versatility, especially in National League-only formats or in quite deep mixed formats. Keep an eye on John Birdie if he's not spoken for uh, Let's go to Cincinnati, where the Reds said the club's going to start the season with two members of the rotation on the IL. Tom Kephart covers the Reds for playing time today. Let's start with the higher-rated starter, right-hander Sonny Gray, on the shelf to start the year.
2: Gray has been sidelined with a back problem, a recurrence of an issue that arose last September. So the reemergence is definitely a concern for the Reds and for any fantasy manager who has Gray on the roster. Uh, It could be worse news, however. For now, Gray is just expected to miss a couple of starts. Pitching coach Derek Johnson said Gray's expected to be ready to pitch again sometime in mid-April, at least for now.
0: The other starter who's out of the picture, Nick, is Michael Lorenzen, who was ticketed for the starting rotation after spending some time in the Reds' bullpen these last few years.
2: Right. The team said Lorenzen has a right shoulder strain, also a recurrence of a previous problem, uh, this one in 2018. He'll also miss a couple of starts, which gets him back in mid-month like Gray. Lorenzen was looking at a shot at the rotation with left-handed pitcher Wade Mighty and right-handed pitcher TJ Antone, both dealing with some soreness. Uh, Hard to know what to think of Lorenzen in the rotation. He uh, last started full-time in the majors in 2015, uh, went 540, 166, and amassed stats worth minus $20. So had three starts in 2018, two last season. When he moved to the bullpen, he was more effective. Nowhere to go but up, actually, given what he did in the majors as a starter. Uh, Two seasons with a sub-3 ERA and whips under 115, Uh, but the 2019 ERA was not good, and the skills had never been overwhelming. Despite some decent swing and miss stuff, his strikeout peak was just shy of 25% a couple of years ago. That's not great, considering a walk rate around 10%.
0: So of the two, clearly Gray is the bigger loss, both in real baseball and in fantasy. Uh, Who gets the innings while those two pitchers are out of the lineup?
2: Replacements are Jeff Hoffman and Jose DeLeon. A couple of power-armed right-handed pitchers with histories of wildness. Uh, Kebhart says that expectations are low for both, and neither should be considered for a fantasy roster spot.
0: Uh, Fair enough. In Milwaukee, a bit of a surprise with Luis Urias, named the starting shortstop in Milwaukee. Uh, Kephart also on this story. What happens to Orlando Arcea's playing time with this announcement?
2: Well, Urias will play primarily shortstop, uh, leaving Orlando Arcea in a split time between third base and shortstop. Uh, Still not clear who will be the shortstop when the contact challenge power option Travis Shaw is playing third base. Uh, Urias is an extreme ground ball hitter, has yet to translate his high contact, high BA, minor league production to major league baseball. He struggled making contact with most of his contact with a weaker variety. Uh, Short three-season MLB career suggests a virtually empty skill set, though he has yet to amass 400 MLB at bats. But struggles reaching base have limited his ability to use his speed.
0: Well, he has bits and pieces of three seasons in the majors, Nick, uh, 226, 315, 320 slash line. Doesn't sound like a whole lot to be interested in. Uh, In most formats, you can do better. Maybe in National League only, you have to take a look at anybody who's going to get some playing time. But he's one of those guys that, yeah, he's going to get playing time maybe, but even if he gets it, there's not a lot there to rely on to pad your stats at all in a fantasy situation and finally in los angeles dodgers manager dave roberts told reporters that right-hander dustin may is going to start the season as the team's fifth starter jock thompson covers the dodgers for playing time today how did the dominoes fall in tinseltown with dustin may picking up that fifth closer role
2: well you know we're, we're kind of guessing what's going on here but the immediate tea leaves suggest that may impressed with his 14 cactus league innings pitched 17 strikeouts, four runs allowed. And the Dodgers like him as a starter better than in the pen, but both roles and roster spots can and likely will change throughout the season in, in Los Angeles. Uh, after some of LA's relievers return from the IL, we won't even try to keep up with all the likely in season assignment shifts in this, uh, they're, they're always going to happen. Tony Gonsolin went to the pen at the moment. David Price went to the pen at the moment They're Neither one of them is going to stay there all season. Uh, Welcome to the welcome to the to your year if you have any of these guys rostered they could all pitch very well they just don't know what role they're going to be in from week to week.
0: Yes, uh, they are inscrutable in Los Angeles in Los Angeles the way that they run things with their pitching but you can't argue with the results that's for sure. Uh, Nick, thanks for helping us with our results. Uh, we've got a full week coming up. Uh, we'll be able to talk more National League news when we talk in 7 days time. All right, thank you Patrick. Harold Nichols is a Baseball HQ pitching analyst and our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn over to the American League and co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. It's Ray Murphy. Ray, welcome back to the show.
1: Happy opening day, opening weekend. Uh, Is there a better weekend of the year? I'm not sure.
0: How'd you guys do on day one?
1: Uh, They were mostly good. I got some good pitching, uh, managed to somehow avoid the the pitching disasters from yesterday. Uh, I did have... One team, my NFBC main event team, was hitting like 0.50 at one point yesterday afternoon, and I think it ended up uh, 3 for 44, but, you know, I'll get over it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 3 for 44, what a start. Hey, uh, Of course, uh, some news stories erupting in uh, opening day action, and we have to start, I think, in Minnesota, where they were kind of hopeful that Josh Donaldson might shake the injury bug, and he put that uh, possibility to rest to what, in the second inning he came out of the game? I was going to
1: say, that, that idea <laughs> lasted all of 20 minutes.
0: Yeah, he's out of the game with a hamstring issue. There's still no word on what goes on, but uh, how do the Dominoes fall in Minnesota with Donaldson probably on the shelf?
1: Yeah, you just have to imagine that out of caution, he's going to be out for at least a little while. Uh, Brent and I were watching that game, and I thought it was more a calf when it happened, which would have been worse, because... Caps have been Donaldson's Achilles calf for, I don't know how long now. So I can't say, I, I guess a hamstring is slightly better news. Uh, but, you, you know, I, as I said, I'm sure it's going to be a, at least a little while. They're not going to rush him and, you know, they're not going to want him playing in cold weather for some time now. I would think the, as far as the dominoes uh, last yesterday, it was Luis Arias moving in from the outfield to third base, which I think is probably the primary replacement. And there's also Williams Estadillo Estadillo, who can play third base uh, and probably get some time there. So, I mean, with Arias, that's a lot of empty batting average. We sort of know who he is. Uh, You know, Estadillo is actually fairly similar. There's a lot of empty contact there that just doesn't come with the same batting average because he's slow as molasses. So, a lot of times contact is not uh, sufficient to get him on base. But I would imagine there'll be those two at third base. And as happened yesterday, I think that's enough for uh, Jake. Cave, Cave, we did this last week, and I still don't remember how it came out. Um, to, uh, you'll probably pick up some more outfield at bats.
0: Uh, what I thought when I first saw this was, it's a pretty big hole in the middle of that order, and you're not going to fill it with Luis Arias or Williams Astadillo or, or Jake Cave. And I wonder, is this going to put pressure on the Twins to recall Alex Kirilov even before his service time shenanigan uh, demotion was announced
1: yeah you know that's a really good point too that they may be forced to do that and in terms of strain on the batting order you know one thing I was watching yesterday was that Byron Buxton stole a base early which I was pretty excited about because there were some buzz going around around the you know sort of second half of spring training that Maybe to stay in the lineup, Buxton shuts down his running game, so he stole the base, which was I was excited about. Then later in the game, he hit a home run, which was even better news. Uh, I I, br- I only bring this up to say that if Buxton gets off to a hot start, given the uh you know given that lineup pressure you're talking about, I wonder if he moves up the, the order and is part of that um part of that bridge to getting a productive lineup together too.
0: In Seattle, the Mariners announced that outfielder Kyle Lewis, the reigning American League Rookie of the Year. Was going on to the ten-day injured list because he has a a knee problem, a little bit of a cascading domino effect in Seattle as well.
1: Yeah, they have a bunch of um, replacement options here that we probably should walk through. Uh, You know, the sort of the headliner was the Taylor Trammell. I guess in this case, made the team and got to start last night on opening day, and he's going to get a he's going to get a look here, and he's probably around even after the. Um, even after Lewis returns. Uh, The guy who's probably on the roster, I think just because of the injury is Jake Fraley, who we had a pretty robust projection for last year. And then he got about a 10 at bat, cup of coffee in Seattle and went back to the minors and was never seen again. And there's also Jose Marmolejos, who's the guy who kind of took that job from Fraley last year. So it looks like this is going to be a little bit of a mix and match and we'll have to wait and see how this comes together. In terms of skills, braley has got some power and speed and some contact problems and Marmolejo is, you know, sort of the flip side of that coin. He puts the bat on the ball more often, but sort of nothing really interesting happens there. And, you know, Trammel's certainly the best uh prospect of the three, but uh, you know, he's in his initial major league transition, so we'll have to see how he uh how he alchemates.
0: I remember Marmalejos uh, being covered by Brandon Cruz at Baseball HQ uh, earlier in March. Uh, a little bit of power growth here to be kind of intriguing, but plate skills going in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah, just yeah, and, he, and he got a much longer look than Bradley did last year. So you know, we have some some idea of what he is. You know, he at least got 100 at bats last year. And to your point, uh, you know, did bang out six homers, but you know, hit 206 with the. Seventy percent contact rate, you know, striking out thirty percent of the time. There, that's uh, that, that's not enough swing and miss to support a uh, you know, kick over league average power.
0: Before we go on, Ray, uh, you've been watching these players play for many many years and analyzing performance and of course we've all seen the strikeout rate rise across major league baseball as uh, hitters swing for the fences by design it's a philosophical change in front offices and field managers saying going back to the old Earl Weaver two walks and a blast kind of deal to to formulate an offense but is 30% strikeout rate seems high but it seems high because I can remember when the strikeout rate was twenty percent, and that eighty percent contact was kind of the threshold. Where do we put the strikeout rate threshold for a decent hitter now these days?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a great question, and you know, I'm being kind of dismissive of Marmale- Marmalejos here for his thirty percent rate, and we should probably uh, you know dr- drill into that in a little more detail. To, to me, it's a sliding scale. You know, there's there's a hard line where the contact rate gets disqualifying and to me that's probably drifted it used to be you know 75 and then it was 70 percent. and for me it's probably down 65 or 63 somewhere around that right now but the sliding scale part of it comes with you know what else do you do do, do well and if you're down in the mid 60s you better have Joey Gallo power or you know for a more touchy example right now where we don't know how he's going to play out you know Bobby Dahlbeck is you know with the wrong side of that line right now where, you know, um, my Boston guy where, you know, his contact rate starts with, uh, you know, last year started with a five, (laughs) which is clearly below my line. But if he can nudge that up even to that you know, 63, 65% range that's when he's got enough power that, you know, he might be able to make a, you know, make a living and be a decent fantasy asset at that level. Um, You know, you know expected power level last year was 110, which means he's 10% above league average. So you know that's not enough to get me excited about a contact rate that sports with 70%. But you're you're right. In other cases, I will.
0: And perhaps a good example of players with skills lacking in that department, but who make up for it with great skills in another department, Uh, Kansas City shortstop Alberto Mondesi, of course, makes up for a lot of flaws in his offensive game by being able to steal 50 or 60 bags a year. Unfortunately, he was put on the 10-day injured list with an oblique strain earlier in the week just before opening day. Uh, The Kansas City club has recalled Nicky Lopez that's hardly going to get uh, fantasy hearts aflutter, I don't think, uh, in a re- retroactive move. What happens here with uh, the Kansas City shortstop situation, and should we expect to see Bobby Witt recalled, echoing our Alex Kirilov curiosity?
1: Yeah, yeah that, that's certainly what everybody's watching for. You know, Nicky Lopez gets recalled, and, uh, you know, it, that's kind of the analogy of a tree falling in the woods. I'm not sure anyone's really going gonna to notice that. Um, but he he had been farmed out, you know, pretty late in camp, and now moves back to you know back back to playing with um, for as long as modesty is out here. I mean, certainly we talked about all of the reasons when in, in our little bit about Wit a couple of weeks ago for uh, you know the franchise and excitement and ticket sales. How you Wit know, is kind of the other end of that spectrum. Um, I don't know that in this particular case. Uh, Mondesi is going to be out long enough for them to at least accomplish the service time games they want with with um they might though because i mean this is an oblique with Mondesi, and those tend to be lingering as your injuries as we've talked about a couple of times already this spring so if this gets to be uh, you know i I haven't seen a firm estimate on how long Mondesi is out uh but if this gets to be a month as opposed to the sort of initial couple of weeks swag that uh mike Mithini put on it then i mean sure it's it's possible that we see Bobby Witt in a Royals uniform before we see Mondesi there again. I'm, I'm not going to totally rule that out right now.
0: There's also some playing time in the offing. It looks like for Hansel Alberto, a kind of a utility guy, any fantasy interest there?
1: Not especially uh, there's, you know, he, he's been around for a while too. And, you know, he's, he, you know, this is one of those cases where you do that quick scan and look for, plus skills and you go down the power column, the, the our power index column, and you see a bunch of numbers in the fifties and sixties. And then you go down the speed column and you'd see, all right, he's closer to average. I see a 95 and 88 at 109 or 102. So, you know, he can run a little bit, but then you jump over to the stolen base column and seven stolen bases in the last two years. So, you know, he's got average speed, but does not use it particularly effectively. And, you know, th- this is a place where he's got the contact skill. He puts the ball in play 86 in six percent of the time in twenty twenty. More than that, he was up around ninety percent, which might very well have been league leading in twenty nineteen. So there's a there's a calling card skill, but uh you know, puts the bat on the ball very well, but you know, not much good happens when he does.
0: Updating a previous report, Chris Olson reported in playing time today, the Tampa first baseman G Man Choi uh, the news is not good. Uh, they were hoping that he could uh, just kind of work his way through it, but he's going to have some arthroscopic surgery on a sore right knee in the next few days. Probably won't be back till mid May at the earliest. What's the lineup fallout in Tampa with G Man Choi moving from maybe to uh uh-uh? uh?
1: Yeah, so this means that, you know, the uh, Team Pretzel or you a know, bunch of moving parts thing that Tampa does that they were planning on doing for. I think we knew they were going to have to do it for at least a week or two while they waited on joy. But like you say, that becomes more like a month now. And, you know, the players here are Yandy Diaz and Michael Brousseau and uh, Yochi Tetsugo. T- you know, all of those guys play first base as well as somewhere else. You know, Tetsugo can play third and outfield. Brosseau can play all over the infield, maybe not shortstop, but certainly second and third. And Yandy Diaz spends most of his time over at third base. So it's going to be a mix and match. I'm not sure there's one guy here who I think is going to play more than 50% of the time at first base as a result of this. So these guys are all, you know, in that 40, 50, 60% playing time range for the balance of the season. Maybe that's a little bit higher for the next few weeks. Uh, You know, we have Satsugo at 70% playing time, but I think he'll lose some of that when, uh, when Choi comes back. So it's a mix and match. It's awfully frustrating if you're in a uh, weekly lineup league, but if you're in a daily lineup league and might be able to you know, put two of these guys on your bench and shuffle them in, maybe you get some value out of them that way.
0: And I know it's only one game, but on opening day, Tetsugo was in the top of the order. He was leading off and playing first base. And uh, I know Chris Olson said that Baseball HQ has, and I'm quoting, reluctantly added some playing time on that account because, as we know, you pick up a few plate appearances just by moving up in the order. Uh, How permanent or how likely is that to be a, a continuing thing for Tampa to have Tetsugo hitting first?
1: I mean, it might be because Choi spent some time up there from time to time, and I know against lefties, uh, Yandy Diaz does ju- jump up there, you know, with some regularity. So in terms of just lineup continuity, that might be something they want to do for uh, for, for all three of these guys. Really, is that uh you know, there may be top of the lineup, uh, you know, the, the, whichever one is playing may regularly be in the top of the lineup.
0: Last year, uh, Tsutsugo had a 314 on base percentage, which is not the kind of stuff uh, managers dream of when they're trying to figure out who they want to hit at the top of the order, but maybe that's a short sample uh, issue and we'll have to watch along. So I think that's the advice we can give to fantasy players is if Tsutsugo stays at the top of the order, check and see if he's drawing some walks, check and see if he's working counts, check and see if he's doing all the things you need to do to be successful in that role, and if not... Uh, don't just say he's not going to have it, but anticipate what you might need to do next if he goes back down to seventh in the order or eighth or whatever the case might be.
1: I think that's exactly right. And, you know, along the same lines, you know, these three guys are, you know, we're sort of representing them as mostly interchangeable here. And that's how Tampa has treated them in their careers to date. But that doesn't rule out the idea that, you know, one of of the three of them has a hot three or four games and stakes a claim to this job. And before you know it, the leadoff hitter for three weeks and you want to ride that wave if it happens. So, you know, by all means, you want to be watching and seeing what, uh, you, know, you know, if, if anyone is uh, sticking their nose out ahead of this race.
0: And it wouldn't be an opening day week, uh, opening day weekend without chaos in the closer ranks. And certainly 2021 is no exception. We start in Oakland where uh, reliever, Trevor Rosenthal, the anointed closer is on the 10 day injured list. He's got a shoulder problem, So, what's going to happen with the bullpen in Oakland where they, I think they have aspirations to do well.
1: Yeah, that was kind of alarming. It was, you know, Rosenthal was coming along kind of slowly in spring training, but I thought it was a, uh. You a, a uh, lower body was a groin pull, I thought, and then uh, all of a sudden the uh, you know the shoulder was sort of the surprise reason for the uh, opening day DL move. So there, you know, they they sort of retooled that entire bullpen this year. Without um, you know, once William Hendricks left, they signed Rosenthal. They also signed uh, Sergio Romo, who may very well be the uh, you know the interim closer here. It's probably a combination of Romo and Jake Deepman. You know, before. They made their wave of signings in February when it was the in-house candidates who we were projecting to take over as closer. You know, it was Diekman who we were sort of favoring from from the left side. But uh, you know, Diekman as, a, as the lefty and Robo as the, you know, slider monster righty who is death on righties probably are the matchup guys to uh to sort of tag team this role for as long as Rosenthal is out.
0: Right now, Baseball HQ still has Rosenthal with 65% of the saves. I guess that's a figure that could be in flux depending on how serious this shoulder injury is, and shoulder injuries tend to be serious rather than not.
1: Yeah, I mean, 65% is roughly probably, you know, we were probably only projecting about 80, 80 to begin with because that's sort of our ceiling for, uh, you know, all but the top tier of closers these days. So we probably knocked off 15 or 20 percent, which you know is probably roughly losing a month of saves. So that's that's probably a back of the envelope that we just took away a month's worth of saves from him, and that's certainly subject to further revision as the you know we find out. We'll probably find out in the next you know week. I would imagine there'll be an update about how treatment is going for Rosenthal and whether the swelling is residing, and when he might throw again, and we'll revise accordingly from there.
0: I was listening to uh, the Oakland's uh, opening day uh, broadcast. Uh, of course, it was on the West Coast, so it occurred a little later here in the Eastern time zones and fit into my uh, listening schedule for opening day pretty well. And they were talking about, among other names, uh, they mentioned Diekman, of course, and, uh, and they mentioned uh, Sergio Romo in some kind of mix and match. But a blast from the past of sorts, Lou Trevino, whose name came up.
1: Yeah, he had some buzz uh, you know, this spring. I read a couple of reports. If you remember going back to 2018-19 uh, when Blake Trinan was the closer there, that you know Trevino was the you know, trusted right-handed setup man, and you know as much as Trinan came out of nowhere and was just you know for a while just unhittable there, Trevino was almost as good for a little stretch, and then those guys both uh, broke down with injuries, and when they came back, neither one was long, was the monster that they had been previously. But uh, you know I had read some buzz, like I said in the spring that Trevino's stuff was back. And if Trevino gets back to his, I guess it was his 2018 level where he was just unhittable that, you know, he, he would certainly work his way into that mix pretty well because, uh, the skills he showed back then were, you know, for a brief stretch, just, uh, just off the charts. Yeah. It was 2018 when he had a 2.92 ERA, uh, through 74 innings, struck out 82 and had a, you know, hundred plus BPV. And I think there was a half season in there that was even better than that. But, uh, you know, his stuff's been a little diminished since then. His fastball velocity had gone, had lost two miles an hour since 2018. So that's probably the key with him. If you see him throwing more 97, 98, 98, than you know 94, 95, then it, it, that might be the the um, the cue to speculate on him a little bit here.
0: And in that big 2018 season, he was a double-digit dollar earner uh, with a, a set of stats that included eight wins, and that means that they must have been shoving him into mostly high-leverage situations, which is always a good thing. And uh, if the manager remembers back to all the way to 2018, which seems like a lifetime ago pre-COVID, but they might, uh, you might expect that Bob Melvin will look around and say, I remember that guy being very effective, and given the turmoil in the situation, maybe uh, Lou Trevino might not necessarily pick up a lot of save opportunities, but he moves up a notch in the pecking order and starts getting into those higher leverage situations in the late innings.
1: I think that's right. Especially when you think about, you know, talking about Beekman and Romo as both sort of specialist types. You know, they both have a strength you know, Beekman comes on the left side and, you know, sometimes they need to, be, need to be used at different points in the game because of that. And, you know, Romo, is death on righties and, you know, gets, gets by against lefties. He's got a platoon split. That's not tragic, but you know, he certainly is more favorable to righties uh, for favorable against righties, I should say. Uh, But, you know, given those limitations and given that sometimes matchups will dictate where those guys get used and then suddenly you might use one of them earlier in the game, but then come the ninth inning, the other guy may not be the right person for the job anymore at that point. You know, Trevino might be the more sort of, you know, good against everybody option who get, who gets called upon here. So, you know, he might be, I would certainly put him as a 1C a, a in this race uh, pending. I, I still want to see a velocity reading on him in a regular season game, but if that velocity is back up to 2018 levels, then yeah, he might rise quickly.
0: Continuing with closer chaos, a few short snappers here. Alex Colomay did not look good in uh, blowing a save uh, at Milwaukee. They ended up losing a game that they were winning by three runs.
1: Yeah, he he uh, got hit pretty hard there, and I think he also made an error himself that poured gasoline on that fire. So that's uh, you know, overall a overall a bad showing. I mean, it, before he blew up, the um, you know the the early note would have been that uh, you know Rocco Baldelli, who gets a lot of credit for you know using his bullpen creatively, used it pretty traditionally. He put Rogers in in the uh, I forget it was the sixth or seventh, but it was, it was fairly early on in the seventh to get a, uh, you know, because that was the place where, you know, the left-hander made the most sense. So it was teed up for Colome all along. He just, you know, got the job and, you know, dropped the ball. So, uh, you know, he also had a uh, pretty high pitch count in that outing. So um, we'll see if they uh, send him off for a, a day off or a little bit of side work or some of that stuff. We'll see how the bullpen gets deployed the second time around. Like you said, we're um, you know even though Rogers came in in the seventh, you know we, uh, Baldelli is pretty good at, at playing matchups and doing things differently every day. So I would not think that that pecking order is written in stone or anything. That was just how the chips fell yesterday.
0: Rodgers came in because, uh, I believe Christian Yelich was leading off that seventh inning and they yep. were protecting the lead. So they, and there was two left-handers out of three in the fir- in those, uh, in those first three spots in the seventh. So, and it worked out well. And actually, Colomay, uh, you said that he threw gasoline on the fire. He kind of lit the fire. He was doing okay. No, he did. You're right. And, yes. <laughs> and he, he gave up a, a walk. And uh, the next guy just nubbed the ball out in front of the plate. And Colomay, instead of going to first base, getting the second out and keeping the lid on, tries to start a double play. I don't know what he was doing, but he fires the ball to second and throws it out uh, wide, and and everybody's safe. And then uh, Jelic comes up and bangs one off the fence out in uh, in left field. So I don't know what was going on. It was actually in right field, and uh, Max Kepler dropped it. It, it hit him in the glove and he dropped it. I don't know if they scored it a, uh, well, they must've scored it a hit because I didn't hear about another error. So when you're reading this story, if they don't get into the details, it looks like Alex Colomay was a, was a disaster out there and he really wasn't. It was a kind of a combination of circumstances, a bad decision by him rather than uh, a poor pitching. He actually got a number of contact, exactly what you want in this situation and, um, yeah, it was a it was a bad situation, but don't write off Alex Colome based on this one thing, as you said. Uh, in Kansas City, you said you were watching this game, and there was some weirdness that went on at the end of the game with uh, Holland and former closer Wade Davis.
1: Yeah, it was. This was. Um, yeah, I've made the joke a couple of times uh, going back to the baseball forecaster about you know suddenly noted sabermetrician Mike Matheny, who uh, you know <laughs> who is as 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 by the book old school guy as you ever could have had back in his. St. Louis tenure, but seems to have you know picked up some modern concepts and bullpen usage and other things. Now that you know in between St. Louis and Kansas City, as he drove drove down. Now I got to remember what is that I eighty that he's <laughs> going down between St. Louis and Kansas City. Um, but anyway, in this game, this was a, a barn burner where uh, you know Brad Keller and Kyle Gibson just you know neither one of them had anything at the front of the game and you know put up two of the worst pitching lines of the day, uh, Keller's in particular was a uh, one in the third, nine hits and six runs outing or something like that. Anyway, this game was, you know, way back and forth and ended up being, uh, I think it was 13 to nine in the eighth inning when Holland came in for what might've been a four out save as they, uh, you know, they, they needed to put out a fire in the eighth inning. And clearly since the game was 13 to nine, nobody else in the uh, Kansas city bullpen had had anything. So <laughs> Bettini tried to go to Holland there and he got out of the eighth, but then he uh, walked a couple of guys in the ninth with a, then a 14 to 10 lead. And, you know, his pitch count was up to 25 and they still had the four run lead, but they pulled him for Davis. And as a guy who drafted Greg Holland, and I think literally every league I'm in this year, that he found that to be a little bit unnerving, but I guess that's really just a case of, you know, they needed him for the eighth and, knowing that they got out, got him out of the eighth. And then he you know, came back after the ninth and, you know, his control was not there and they probably didn't want to push him into a, you know, 40 pitch outing on opening day. So they, you know, I, I I'm thinking of it as they, uh, you know, did the safe, pragmatic thing and, you know, give, gave him the hook of 25 pitches and Davis got out of the inning. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not convinced that Wade Davis is anything different than the way Davis that we've seen in, Colorado, for the last couple of years, where you could only handle him with asbestos clubs. But for yesterday, at least, he got the call in the ninth and got the job done. So he's probably in that mix there, at least.
0: So would you rush out and look at him as a fab pickup uh, this weekend, Wade Davis?
1: Uh, not for me. You know, I'm going to stick with the longer term view and that uh, he's still Wade Davis until further notice. And he's been on my do not fly list for some time now. Uh, that might be a little bit dangerous since, like I said, I have about seven shares of Greg Holland. But um, I'm, I'm not, uh, unless there's another usage pattern that concerns me on Saturday or Sunday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat
0: that one as a one-off. So we're going to Kansas City. They got a lot of old relievers there, and I'm not going to get any of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, when it got to 1410, like t- my wife says, uh, they should bring in Patrick Mahomes
1: smart <laughs> <Sounded laughs> like, over, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, it sounded like a football score at that point. Uh, and finally, in Toronto, they went into extra innings, beating the Yankees. Uh, Jordan Romano looked good, preserving the tie game in the ninth, and then in the tenth to preserve the uh, save. An uh, unlikely source of saves, but now somebody who's on the radar, uh, Julian Merriweather.
1: Yeah, that was that was interesting. You know, it, it, it's one of the you know fantasy axioms that everyone needs to be reminded of is not to jump up and down about the extra inning save because you know, the save always goes to the guy who was still in the bullpen at that point and it doesn't necessarily mean that you know he was ranked that way you know the point looking at the game in inning six through nine the Jays kind of did what everybody thought they would do we saw David Phelps and then we saw Deise in the eighth and then Romano came on to the ninth in the tie game and that was the way we expected this bullpen to stack up so you know, it wasn't necessarily remarkable that Meriwether got the call of the 10th because, you know, he was the next guy left in the pen. But I think what, for me at least, what caught my attention was that he completely blew the Yankees away and struck out the side after they put the ghost runner on second base. And I'm pretty sure he got it. he got Aaron Judge in there, too, either to end the game or for the second out of the inning. So, uh, yeah, that got my attention, not necessarily for the usage pattern, but because Meriwether was clearly completely up to the challenge. And. You'll probably got to ticket his manager's check mark for oh I can go back there again and t- you know w- w- next weekend or whenever I need to that was uh you know I, uh, he he earned some confidence there.
0: I was going to say he actually earned my confidence. I was watching the game there towards the end and uh, blew them away is exactly the right phrase for it. He just looked completely dominant. And for a young pitcher coming into that situation in that environment with those hitters and just foosh, foosh, foosh in there, one, uh, one heater after another. And the next thing you know, they're walking off with a, with a nice win on opening day. Uh, Merriweather certainly needs to crawl up everybody's depth charts, I believe.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting because there was a lot of hand-wringing when Yates got hurt about how the Jays really wanted Romano to be the seventh-eighth inning fireman and Yates to be the established closer. So now, do they do that with Romano? Do they make him a traditional closer and figure out the stuff in front of him? But you know, <laughs> if Weathers, you know does what he did yesterday a couple more times, we'll probably have the same conversation about you know which one do you want to be the fireman and which one do you want to be the closer. And, you know, remains to be seen. So, uh, but, you know, step one of that is for Merriweather to come out and do that a couple more times. But uh, much like you, he, you know, I, I sort of had that game on in the background yesterday while I was, uh, I think it was uh, doing something with my kids at the time, but I had one eye up on the screen and yeah, it was, I only needed one eye to see that he was completely blowing them away. It was, it was very impressive.
0: And before I let you go, Ray, the first fab weekend, uh, maybe second uh, for some leagues, but uh, first fab weekend coming up. Anybody that you're sneaking a peek at?
1: You know, if it is your first fab weekend, I'm going through my head on some of the guys I targeted last weekend because I think all of my leagues had fab either on Sunday or Wednesday. But, uh, you know, Jazz Chisholm is one that I've gotten pretty interested in uh, having won that second base job in Miami. There's, there's some risk there. And, you know, everything we were talking about earlier about contact rates apply there. Uh, he's got a shaky contact rate, but he's got he's got some real skills, both in terms of power or speed speed that might make him stick uh, and you know, make him a product, productive player. So he's one I'm targeting. And you know, one one other thing I've learned is now that games have started, even Friday is sometimes too early to predict what's going on uh, on Sunday on Sunday Fab, especially with the uh, the closer games. We just went through. Three American League situations that all, you know, provided more useful information on opening day, and we've got uh, Saturday, you know, Friday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games to get through before we put our bids in. So uh, reality will continue to shift under us, but that's going to happen for the next uh, 161 days, and I'm here for
0: it. And talking of fab, but while I've got you. In Tout American League, and this is a, a single league format, um, I I took a very small bid on Pat Valaika in Baltimore because I just needed somebody to fill a shortstop hole. And uh, lo and behold, my $1 bid, or we allow $0 bids, it was one of the two that I bid, got absolutely demolished by about five other guys, including somebody who bid like 100 out of the $1,000 FAB mm. budget. And I'm wondering, uh, I know that the story was that Valaika was... Kept on the roster, and they talked about maybe giving him some reps in the shortstop position. But uh, do you think Pat Valaika's is that big of a thing?
1: I don't, um, or at least I. He was flying under my radar. Is probably probably the better way to put it. But you know that you know the, the one larger theme there is that probably in everyone's leagues, I, I I we see I see it even in the industry leagues, and I can only even imagine that it is more prevalent than home leagues. The hundred or a thousand dollar full fab budget that you have tends to get splashed around a lot uh early in these in these early weeks. So uh, you know, th- there's a double-edged sword there. You know, one uh point, my, my primary point is not to get carried away with that and you know try to stick to some discipline. And there will be a lot of weeks and a lot of players available in fab, and you're gonna want to have money all year long. So don't get sucked in by week one shiny object. Part two of that is you know, if there is somebody who you're really convinced you need, you're probably going to have to bid up to get him because everybody likes to throw that money around this early. So if your guy is Pat Mullaker, and I don't think he's mine yet, then yeah, I would not be surprised that you have to pay up to get him.
0: And part three is there is an advantage of getting guys like that at this time of the year. You get 25 weeks of, of production, and if you hold on till you know, the all-star break, you get 12 weeks of production, and it has to be quite an uh, interesting guy if he can outproduce a, a full-time player or a 70% player in half a season.
1: Yeah, that's right. And while we were going through that, I actually just took another look at Valeka and, you know, the, the surprising thing to me is that, you know, we don't have him projected for that much playing time, you know, we've got him at 40%, and that's not even a shortstop. That's a first and second. So uh but but you know, the skills aren't bad. You know, there's a decent batting average and power combination there. We've got him for 256 batting average and nine home runs and you know 258 at bats, which is less than half a season. So I mean if for some reason this went from a forty percent playing time guy to an 80% playing time guy, then yeah, that does get interesting. But we we don't have that yet, but maybe that'll clarify by Sunday.
0: All right, Ray, many things will be clarified by Sunday, and I'm sure you'll be ready to discuss the clarifications when we meet again uh, next week. Thanks for helping us out. We'll talk to you then. Thank you, Peter. Ray Murphy is a co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com and covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Next up are Baseball HQ commentaries, but right now it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In playing time tomorrow, analyst Matt Dodge covers all five teams in the American League Central looking at their rosters, including the Detroit and Kansas City infields. In the Pitcher Matchups report, Brandon Cruz looks at some strong starts on Friday. For Pablo Lopez, Andrew Heaney, and others, there are some judgment calls, like Trevor Bauer and Yusei Kikuchi, and some weak starts you might want to avoid John Means, Dallas Keuchel, and Ryan Yarborough for tonight's action. In facts and flukes, analyst Mike Werner validates performances by Andrew Benintendi, Jamison Tyon, and three other players in the American League. And those are just three articles among literally dozens. A small sample of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time player performance validation in facts and flukes, news updates in playing time today, roster forecasting in playing time tomorrow, buyer's guides for hitters, starters, and relievers, fantasy market analysis in the market pulse, injury analysis in Matt Cedarholm's column, The Big Hurt, and groundbreaking fantasy baseball research. As well, now that that season's rolling, we have tools for you. Player projections updated every day, daily dashboards, those pitcher matchups planners I mentioned, and leading indicators for hitters and pitchers all season long. You add it all up, expert content, plus tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues, and they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business.
3: Baseball HQ Radio. (laughs)
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular commentaries. My extra innings comment is coming up and leading off. It's the frequent flyer, a commentary on players who might be available in your free agent pool and who have the potential to get enough playing time and production to make them worth a spot on your roster. Take a flyer. Here with a look at Philadelphia right-handed starting pitcher Mark Appell is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky.
3: Excluding active players, he is one of only three number one overall draft picks since 1966 to never reach the major leagues. In his March 28th article for USA Today, Steve Gardner detailed how now 29-year-old Mark Appel was the number one overall selection in the 2013 draft by his hometown Houston Astros. To put that in perspective, Mark Appel was the first overall pick in the 2013 draft that also included third baseman Chris Bryant going second to the Chicago Cubs, along with John Gray third, Clint Frazier fifth, Austin Meadows ninth, Tim Anderson 17th, and Aaron Judge 32nd overall, all going in 2013's first round. Yet, Marco Pell never made his Major League debut and reportedly quit baseball in 2018, telling Bleacher Report in early 2018 that if you want to call me the biggest draft bust, you can call it that. Marco Pell was further quoted by Bleacher Report in 2018 upon reportedly quitting baseball as saying, If I never get to the big leagues, will it be a disappointment? Yes and no. That was a goal and a dream I had at one point, but that's with stipulations that I'm healthy, I'm happy, and I'm doing something I love. If I get to the big leagues, what's so great about the big leagues if you're in an isolated place, you're hurt, and you're emotionally unhappy? How much is that worth to you? Good question. That's why Mark Appel, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, perhaps a real long shot, who may still be worth a flyer if he's available, and he probably is available, in your league. So what's the appeal of Appel? Let's get right to it. Mark Appel is reportedly attempting a comeback with the Philadelphia Phillies, the team that traded for him in 2015, according to a report by The Athletic on March 27, 2021. The Athletic further reported on March 29, two days later, that Mark Appel had indeed reported to Philadelphia's minor league spring training, and that his fastball in bullpen sessions was sitting at 92 miles per hour and touching 94 miles per hour. Not bad. Plus, after having arthroscopic surgery in 2018 to repair some small tears in his labrum and rotator cuff, and reportedly working to get into a better mental space, perhaps Mark Appel might be ready, finally, to make his long-awaited Major League debut in 2021. Of course, it's still early, but it sounds like Mark Appel is a much better place than he was in 2018, meaning that perhaps your team might also be in a better place in the standings by stashing Mark Appel as our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com.
0: Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has his frequent flyer comment here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for extra innings, my comment on baseball and fantasy baseball, and this week I'd like to talk about what's in a name at the NFBC main event. One of the things I really like about the NFBC is the access to data. Everywhere you look at the site, there are records of ADPs and salary values and where, when, and how leagues drafted. For a data junkie like me, it's like finding myself transported to the Vancouver East Side or the Bowery in Manhattan, strung out and searching for the next hit. This analogy sucks. Let's just say it's fun. I've saved the main event data for the end of the year because I want to look at how success in the event correlates with when the team was drafted, whether it was online or in person, how many teams the most successful players entered, that kind of thing. If you're interested, the two most active players entered nine teams apiece. Two more had six entrants, and nine more players entered four or five. Most of the players, about 40%, were solo shots, while 84 entered twice and 36 had three entries. My plan was to gather a bunch more data like that and talk about it, but I got sidetracked by the players' names. The most common entrants, it turns out, were Michael or Mike, with 43, followed by Dave and David, Steve and the various spellings of Stephen, and Matts and Matthews. Thirteen Patricks, if you're keeping score. But where things really got interesting, and I imagine by now you're wondering if anything ever would, is the team names those entrants chose. Sure, most guys just use their own names or some version of it, My teams are called PD at HQ Radio, for obvious reasons, but a lot of the NFBC players were pretty creative. A fantasy manager named Anthony Palvis has a team in the league called Chico Linds Hermanos. Brothers of Chico Lind, I guess, if you're of a certain age, i.e. old as I am, you might remember Chico Lind. He was a second baseman who played in the big leagues from 1987 through 95, mostly for the Pirates, plus the Royals and Angels later in his career. He wasn't much with the bat, but he was a really good fielder and won a gold glove in 1992. Patrick Gallagher, one of the 13 Patricks, named five of his six teams after players. Fernando Tatis, Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Mike Trout, and Trevor Bauer. I'm guessing maybe his first-round picks. Patrick named his sixth team Gallagher, either after himself or that crazy comedian who used to smash pumpkins with a sledgehammer. I never got the joke. Steve Gregovich called his team the Mad Hungarians, A tip of the cap to Al Hraboski, a relief pitcher and closer in the 70s and early 80s, mostly for St. Louis. You might remember him stomping around the mound, pulling his hat down ferociously, and then leering at the batter from under his handlebar mustache. Or from over his handlebar mustache, I suppose. In any event, he led the National League in saves in 1975 with 22. But in that year also had 13 relief wins and a 166 ERA 108 whip in just under 100 innings. Probably a pretty good fantasy player. Thomas Eschenfader called one of his two teams Adios Eloy. That league drafted on March 20th, and Jimenez had his fateful collision with the wall on the 24th, so I can only assume that Thomas is clairvoyant or that he named his team after he drafted Eloy and then lost him to the injury. And Utam Rath deserves a nod for drafting Philadelphia first baseman Alec Baum and then naming his team the Baum squad. I love puns. Instead of old ballplayers, two-time overall champ Lindy Hinkleman named his three teams after old TV characters. There's Hoss Cartwright, the dumb, beefy brother on the old Western Bonanza. There's Eddie Haskell, the creepy suck-up neighbor on Leave it to Beaver. And there's Bob Enzite. This might be a name you don't remember. Enzite was the trade name for a male enhancement product whose TV commercials featured a character called Smilin' Bob, and you don't have to guess what Bob was smiling about. The actor was actually a Canadian guy, Andrew Olcott, but the owner of the company and his mom were convicted of conspiracy to commit mail fraud, bank fraud, and money laundering in relation to this Enzite business. That's mail fraud spelled M-A-I-L, by the way. Although I suppose it could have been, well, you know. In September of 2008, they were sentenced to prison and ordered to forfeit $500 million in assets. I bet Bob wasn't smiling so much after that. Scott Zeidman called his team in memory of Lore, a tribute to my old friend and fantasy baseball legend Lore Michaels, the Zen master. Nice touch by Scott Zeidman. Jacob Halusker, who's in one of my leagues, named his main event team the Cleveland Dust Mites, a play on the Cleveland Spiders, of course. And there are a few guys who named their teams after their performances or hoped for performances at this year's event. Several guys took pot shots at their own chances by calling their teams Dead Money, or some variation, that's a poker term if you don't know it, for the guy at the table who's clearly outmatched and has no chance. Interestingly, though, one of the players who used the name Dead Money or an angle on it was Casey Chaw which is pretty funny because he's about as far from dead money at a main event table as I am from getting the lead role in the next Star Wars movie. K.C. Chaw is in fact one of the most successful players who's ever played in the NFBC. In the last seven seasons, Chaw has won 35 NFBC League titles. He's currently fourth on the career money winnings list with almost half a million dollars, and he was inducted into the NFBC Hall of Fame this year. Lucas Kawa seemed to refer to his NFBC record in his team name 0-4, oh, Pete's sake. I love puns. Stephen Rushak called his team the Iamus Catulis, a Latin phrase that can be loosely translated as, let's go Cubs. You might have seen the sign on the upper facade of the Lakeview Baseball Club building on Sheffield Avenue, just beyond Wrigley Field's right field bleachers. Tyler Young named his team's Maine Sox Hoping for a Miracle, Maine Sox Courting Disaster, and Maine Sox Last Shot. Good luck, Tyler. Oh, and I just don't want to know the story behind Michael Linz's team name, Poopy Tooth. Good luck this season by whatever name you use for Baseball HQ Radio. I'm PD at Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, and I have my extra innings commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, April the 2nd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 18 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Ray Murphy. And our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, your extra innings commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go wherever you catch your pods, and if they'll let you, leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. Helps us find new listeners, new listeners help us keep the podcast going, and we all get to keep having all this fun. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with our first Friday full edition of the 2021 season. That's next Friday, a Friday full edition on the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Talk to you next Friday. And so long.
2: Baseball HQ Radio
1: is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.